Rutgers gets revenge at the Rock. I just wanted us to be locked in. They were locked in, this group. Um, they know the importance of the game. We wanted to paint the state red. And paint it red, they did. Politically speaking, New Jersey is as blue as they come. It is a blue state. But when it comes to basketball, Steve Peichel and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights left no doubt they have painted this state red, and it wasn't a Picasso. Rutgers will never be confused with Picasso. It's more like a, a little rascals in the backyard painting the fence, if you know what I mean. Ragtag group that's finding its way, coming together, and somehow it's messy, it's a little ugly, there's paint all over their faces, but they get the job done. Hey, everyone. I'm Brian DeNovellis. Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, sponsored by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. If you or your daughter or someone you know are looking to play a high-level brand of softball for an elite club team, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. So we'll put the paint cans away. The paint is dry. It is red. The final score reads Rutgers 70, Seton Hall 63. But guess what? It wasn't that close. If you were in that building, Rutgers came out from the get-go. That crowd was sold out. It was rocking. But it never got loud for Seton Hall. That place was never on its feet. Sure, there were Rutgers fans on their feet, about a thousand of them. And you heard the R-U chants. You heard them when Rutgers was up 10 in the first half. You heard them when Rutgers was up 15 in the second half. Rutgers came out and they punched Seton Hall in the mouth. Seton Hall was wobbly. They never gained their composure. Give Rutgers credit. They knew the importance of this game. They were hungrier. They were better. They outperformed Seton Hall, out-hustled them, out-shot them, and they certainly out-coached them. Shaheen Holloway said it in his post-game press conference. We will get to the Seton Hall side of things later. Let's begin with Rutgers. This is a team that was licking its wounds. This was a team that came in limping. They had lost two straight games. They were humiliated and manhandled by Illinois on their home court. And they were hammered on the road by a Wake Forest team that had won, what, 24 straight at home? But something happened from Wednesday, December 6th to Saturday, December 9th. Steve Peichel went to his team after the game. He was pissed. He was mad. He had to get his message across. He never even came out for that post-game press conference at Wake Forest, which he never does. He always is accessible. He got his message across to the team. It was heard loud and clear. Wherever it was, Rutgers found a swagger, and they found their stroke. My goodness. They hit 12 threes in this game. The media were, were, were combing through the statistics and the 
and the media guide and wherever they could find the statistics. When was the last time Rutgers hit 12 threes in a game? When was the last time they hit 50% of their threes? Well, they only did it twice last year against Minnesota and at Northwestern hitting 50%. You have to go back almost two years against Minnesota in January of 2022 to find out the last time Rutgers hit at least 12 threes. So it helps when you knock down shots, right? Everything falls into place when you hit your shots. The game's so easy. That's part of the equation. Rutgers also found its emotional leader. They have been waiting. Not like not like a, a you know a lost puppy looking for its owner, but Mawat Mag means more to this team than any box score will ever indicate. This is a guy who has been through the wars, the hell and back. And I mean, he's lost teeth. He has had more injuries than you can put on an NFL weekly season injury chart. Finally, we've been waiting. Mawat Mag, when is he coming back? When is he coming back? Steve Peichel. He'll tell us when he's ready. He'll tell us when he's ready. Guess what? He was ready for Seton Hall. Of all games, right? That's what Shaheen Holloway said in his post-game press conference. He picked our game to come back. Shaheen Holloway knows what Mawat Mag means to Rutgers. He is their emotional leader. He is their captain. He is a guy that brings an edge and a toughness and a smartness to defense like no other player can. That's where his importance is. And when you have a guy back like that back in your lineup, it makes everyone's game a little better. All right. The box score says four points, eight rebounds in 24 minutes. That's not Mawat Mag's value. Ask Kaderi Richmond what he thought of Mag. Yeah, he was he was pretty good. No, listen, he was better than pretty good. I watched him closely. Steve Peichel had a brilliant game plan. Jamichael Davis got his first start ever as a freshman. We'll get to him in a bit. He picked up Kaderi Richmond full court, made him work, hounded him just enough to nag him. And then when he got over half court, Mawat Mag picked him up. And listen, it's not like he was blocking his shot, but Kaderi Richmond, trust me, had to work for everything he got. He flustered him a little bit. Mag flustered him. Mag was in his face. Mag bodied him up. Mag contested shots. Kaderi Richmond was 0 for 3 while Mag and Davis were guarding him. For the first 12 minutes of this game, Kaderi Richmond was scoreless. Mag goes to the bench to get a breather, and that's when Richmond scored his first points of the game. I think he had four or five quickly, all right, and asserted himself and easily got into the paint. So Kaderi Richmond ended up with his 21 points, but Rutgers and Mawat Mag made him work for every point he got. So Mag made a difference with the intangibles. Jamichael Davis 
he was brilliant. This is a kid who has so much potential. I'm not going to say star, but Steve Peichel, we know he has a way of, of combing and finding under-recruited players and developing them. And Jamichael Davis could be that next great one that is that diamond in the rough. In his first collegiate start, he finished with 11 points, six assists in 32 minutes. He could have been the MVP of the game. It went to Cliff Amore, who was deserving, because Cliff was dominant. Now, look, Cliff is not going to be a guy who takes 12, 14 shots a game. That's not him. All right? He works hard. He gets strong dunks, right? That's his game, power. But he blocks shots. He was a force on the defensive end. That play, and we've all seen it. All right, in the first half, Rutgers is 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 starting to extend its lead. They're up eight. Seton Hall is kind of hanging around, trying not to let the game get away from them. Kaderi Richmond blows into the lane, has a surefire layup, and Amori comes out of nowhere, swats the ball off the backboard. It goes right to Jamichael Davis. They're out running three on two, two on. It was really two on two, two on three, really. And, and the speed of Davis going up court, and there's Mawat Mag flying down the right side, getting the bounce pass in stride, laying it up, going to the ground. Rutgers fans holding their breath. Oh, my God, is he okay? Mag gets up, runs to the bench, timeout Seton Hall, 10-point lead. And who started it? Cliff Amori. Who finished it? Mawat Mag. The captains coming up big when Rutgers needed them to come up big. That's what great players do. They rise to the occasion in the big moments. Noah Fernandes rose to the occasion. My goodness. I mean, shooting is contagious, right? It's confidence. Those first couple of shots don't go in. You start to second guess yourself. You think too much. You're in your own head. You force things. It doesn't feel right. You hope it goes in. I mean, when Rutgers shooters were shooting in this game, you felt like they knew it was going in. And it started with guys like Fernandes. It really picked up in the first half with two players, Andre Hyatt and Gavin Griffiths. My goodness. I mean, Griffiths just did what he was supposed to do. It's like Seton Hall had never seen the scouting report. Huh. This this freshman Griffiths? Wait, he can shoot? I mean, he has confidence. And when he's open like that, boom. And Andre Hyatt hit three threes in the game. And each time he did in the first half, he turned around and there's Ike Obiagu. Former Seton Hall center, sitting front court, courtside. And each time Hyatt was right there, his butt in Ike's face, burying a three and turning around and talking smack to Ike. Sit down, Ike. Your career's over. Nothing you could do about it now and nothing Seton Hall could do about it.
Rutgers had a swagger that Seton Hall didn't. They knew the importance of this game. Steve Peichel afterward was asked about why he started Jamichael Davis, the freshman, how he played. Now, Peichel had high praise for Davis, but as Steve Peichel does, he mentioned everyone. This was as total a total team effort from up and down the roster as you could get. Contributions from everyone. Here's the coach on his team's play. He's been good the last, you know, three games, 11 assists, zero turnovers. Tonight he has six assists and two turnovers. He's a high-energy guy. He's tremendous toughness. Um, you know, we just changed things up and, and have him a lot. And, and then I loved how the guys that came off the bench responded. Every guy, you know, Gavin was ready to play. Um, Oscar comes in, hits a three. Um, Derek does a great job, you know, down the stretch. So, um, Wolf, you know, grabs five rebounds. So everybody, you know, did a really good job. Um, and having Jay Mike in, in, in the lineup, you know, he changes things. He's super quick. And, uh, you know, tonight he got people involved. He made shots. And, and he's a defensive, you know, he's got a chance to be a really good defender. And if you were watching closely, it was Jamichael Davis just doing it time and time again, taking care of the basketball not turning it over, getting his teammates involved. Brilliant move. Brilliant. I mean, Derek Simpson didn't start. So does that mean Davis starts going forward? Why not? Why would you not start him going forward? You can't take him out now. That's not to say Derek Simpson won't help this team because he will. He's too good not to help the team, but keep starting Davis and give Peichel credit. He's a coach who's trusting his freshmen. Last year, he trusted Simpson and Woolfolk. And look at them now, making contributions, making starts. This year, he's trusting Davis, and he's trusting Griffiths. Both have had starts. Both are playing meaningful minutes. Both are in these games when, when things matter in the first half, in crunch time. I mean, Steve Peichel does as good a job as developing his players throughout their time at Rutgers than any coach in the country. Shaheen Holloway needs to take note of that. Where's his trust in his freshman? Sure, Isaiah Coleman's out there, but in many people's opinions outside of the coach, including mine, I've been saying this for weeks, he should be starting, all right? And another player, Malachi Brown, invisible. Seton Hall could sure use a backup point guard. Steve Peichel does it, all right? Everyone contributed. It began with Mag, it began with Amori. How great is it to see Cliff produce like this? Man, Steve Peichel just, just his teams never get too high after big wins. They never get too low after tough losses. The sky is never falling in Piscataway as long as Steve Peichel is there. Chicken Little was screaming after the loss to Princeton. We're done. The season's over. We suck. Chicken Little was screaming after Rutgers 
got trounced by double figures to Illinois and Wake Forest. Oh my God, we're going to lose three in a row. We're going to lose to Seton Hall. Season's over. One game, one performance, one team can make a difference. They never get too high or too low. And and how do you not, right? I mean, it was just a roller coaster week for Rutgers. They lose to Illinois. Then they get the best news ever on the commitment of Dylan Harper, the number two player in, in the class of 2024. Rutgers has this amazing best ever recruiting class coming in, ranked as high as number two in the country. Dylan Harper, Ace Bailey, my goodness. How good are we going to be next year? Top 25 preseason. Sweet 16 potential. And then they lay an egg against Wake Forest. And then somehow they all got it together and defeated Seton Hall at Seton Hall, their rival on their home court, beating them for the first time in 10 years. What a wild roller coaster week, huh? But oh, how sweet it was when the week ended. Here's Peichel on what type of a week it was for Rutgers basketball. Great couple of days. You know, Rutgers is a great university, you know, and we'll get some of the best players in the country now coming to play in our programs. A credit to these guys. Um, you know, they, they made it that way. You know, it's a hard. Hard place to come and play, Jersey Mike's, and, you know, kids want to be a part of that. So, you know, great week. And, uh, you know, we had some challenges early on. I like how this team responded. I think we're going to continue to get better. And, you know, that's what I always like about the journey of the season. We always get better, and we'll continue that. And with these two captains up here now, you know, playing a lot of minutes, you know, that'll help us certainly. So Pike's talking about Cliff and Mag. When these guys are healthy and they're in there, they are the catalyst. They are the keys to Rutgers' success this year. Make no mistake about it. So one game a week for the next three weeks, three straight Saturdays, Rutgers has games against LIU and Stonehill at home. And in the middle is that game against Mississippi State at the Pru. You know how we love doing this, right? Win all three Rutgers is nine and two in non-conference play. That's about as good as Rutgers fans would have predicted. Sign me up. And then you go into that, that gauntlet of Ohio state and Iowa and take your chances in the big 10. Now you expect them to beat LIU. You expect them to beat Stonehill. Mississippi state's the key. Even if you lose your two and one, You'll still take eight and three. That's where I predicted them to be in the preseason. Eight and three heading into conference play. Mississippi State is not going to be easy. They own wins over a very good Northwestern team and Washington State, but they also lost to Southern. Now, Rutgers just played at the Prudential Center. So maybe they have a little edge there. They know what it's like to play in that building. And here they are playing in the same building two weeks later. Will it help them? It will be a pro Rutgers crowd. You know that. Rutgers fans will be behind them. So it'll be a home away from home for Rutgers. Can't wait for that one.
But, hey, let's not get too high or too low, right? Let's take the Steve Pike away. Let's just see where this team goes from here. It could get very interesting once again. All right. Now, <laughs> let's let's bring things down, way down. How bad are things for Seton Hall? All right. I'm not going to say the sky is falling because let's not forget, there are plenty of times in Seton Hall history. Let's just go right back to last year when Seton Hall suffered back-to-back -back losses in their Feast Week tournament, coming off a high of a buzzer beater, beating Memphis, then losing to Oklahoma. And then of all teams, they lost to Siena. How bad was it then? But what happened? Seton Hall beat Rutgers, upset them in their building, and they found their way again. All it takes is one win to bring your confidence back. But I, I, I just, that team was loaded with toughness, all right? Casey and Defo and Tyree Samuel, tough guys who had been through the wars. Who are the tough guys on this team? Who are the guys that are going to really get this team going and rally them? Kaderi Richmond and Dre Davis. That's who it has to be. Somehow, some way, we'll get to Al Dawes in a minute, but Alamir Dawes is lost. And if he doesn't find his way quickly, it's becoming Jameer Harris 2.0. We're going through the same things. We're seeing the same mental breakdowns that we saw with Jameer Harris and his lack of confidence and his inability to knock down threes and open threes. But Seton Hall, it, they have more problems than Al Dawes. All right. They're, they're beating all of the, the low conference teams, but they have lost to all four power five opponents by an average of nine points. Every single one of their matchups, USC, Iowa, Rutgers, Baylor, every single one of them, Seton Hall has fallen behind by double digits in the first half. Whose fault is that? Is it the players? Is it the coach? Is it a combination of both? My feeling is it happens once. All right. You know what? Players don't understand. But if it happens again and again, the head coach really needs to get these guys together and make them understand how important it is to start a game, whether it's the first minute, the 10th minute, the 18th minute, whatever it is, you cannot keep coming from behind. You cannot keep building yourself a double-digit deficit in the first half. But it happens over and over again. Why? Why? Shaheen Holloway was asked after the game, did his team understand the importance of this rivalry? Here's what he had to say. I don't think my guys understood the magnitude of this game, right? Like all our new guys, like they don't know the rivalry and, and how important it is. Um, I, obviously, I think you know they did a good job making sure they, they guys understood that. 
Um, but we didn't. I, th I thought we came out and played a little timid. Um, and not, like, we wasn't aggressive, you know. I, I got a couple of guys that got to do more for us. I mean, somewhere in there, Shaheen did say the coaches need to be better. But if you if you listen to him, I mean, there. how many times is he throwing his players under the bus and then bringing himself out there? That's a page out of what Kevin Willard used to do. You know, they don't understand this. They don't do that. They need to do this better. How about we? How about I? I don't know. Maybe that's my way of of wanting or or waiting for a coach to react. Man, you you're responsible for this program. You're responsible for preparing them. You're responsible as a head coach for getting them ready. And this team has not been ready one bit. And look, they're going to beat Monmouth. If not, I mean, then you can certainly say the sky is falling at Seton Hall. But that's what Seton Hall has been doing. They've been beating up on the non on the in the non-conference on the low conference teams. Ask yourself this question. What is Seton Hall's identity? Are they a great defensive team like like Shaheen Holloway's teams in the past? No. No. Last year Seton Hall was at the top of the Big East in field goal percentage defense and points allowed. It was them and Yukon all season, they were teetering between one and two. And Seton Hall finished second in scoring defense and field goal percentage defense right behind UConn. That's how good they were defensively last year. This year, through nine games, they are seventh in scoring defense. Points allowed. They are ninth in field goal percentage defense. They are near the bottom in three-point field goal percentage. They are one of the worst teams in the country, them and St. John's, at defending the three. I'm going to throw some numbers out there for you. In the last four games against the four power conference opponents, Seton Hall's opponents have shot 44% from three. They've scored 117 points from the three-point line combined. That's almost 30 points a game that Seton Hall is giving up from three, an average of 10 a game. Meanwhile, the Pirates are shooting 24%. They're allowing 44%. They're shooting 24%. And they've scored only 54 points. They have been outscored from the three-point line by 63 points. That is how you lose games. That is how you lose games against good teams by double digits. All right. And Alamir Dawes, can he find a way to score other than shooting a three? It's getting embarrassing. The fans are moaning when he shoots. He cannot find the hoop. He hit two in this game. And after that, he was horrendous. I mean, you cannot go into a college game and be two for 15 from three. You have to find another way to score. Zero assists. When it goes to Al Dawes, he's thinking one thing. I got to get my shot. I got to get my shot. I got to hit this three. No, it's not about you. It's about the team. 
And if you're not confident, find a way to get in the gym and get your confidence back. And yes, it has to come during the game. I get it. But it doesn't have to come with 15 shots. You're losing, you're missing 13 of them. Al Dawes is taking 44% of his team's threes. I looked at other teams, their best three-point shooters, Cam Spencer and Alex Caravan at UConn. They're not taking 40% of UConn's threes. They're around 24, 25%. Why? Because they have more shooters. But it's not just Alamir Dawes. Dylan, Awe- Dylan Adeawusu was supposed to be a three-point shooter. He's shooting 29%. Kaderi Richmond was over 40% last year. He's two for 14. Seton Hall just, they're not constructed with shooters. They're just not. Shooting is contagious. We saw what it did for Rutgers. One guy hits, another guy hits. And suddenly the confidence is there. Everyone's shooting. It's contagious. At Seton Hall, it's the opposite. It's an epidemic. You don't want them to shoot threes. Look, the roster is the roster, and they're going to have to figure it out. Other guys are going to have to improve their three-point shooting, and Al Dawes is going to have to find a way to get his shot, take smarter shots, take shots within the offense, don't force it. Everyone's keying on him. Seton Hall is so easy to defend. Keep Kaderi Richmond out of the lane, double him, triple him in the paint, whatever it is, make his life difficult, and don't give Al Dawes any space to get going. So let's go back to my question. What is Seton Hall good at? They're good at free throw shooting, but they missed their first, what were they, one for seven? They were an 80% free throw shooting team, and they missed six of their first seven. If they hit five of those, right, and they're up at 80%, that maybe that game's a little different. I don't know. This team was not ready for this game. They were not ready to play. They didn't understand the importance of it. There's no urgency. They're walking the ball up the court uh, late in the game. They're, they're not getting into their offense for the first 20 seconds of the shot clock. There's a lot going on. This season, I'm not ready to say it's lost. A lot of fans are. They're already saying the season's over. And right now, it doesn't look good. How the hell are you going to... I mean, UConn's coming in there December 20th. Are you kidding me? One of the best, one of the top two or three teams in the country? I mean, UConn's going to be favored by 9, 10, 11 points. They could win that game by 25 if UConn shows up. That's how bad things are for Seton Hall. But it's college basketball. Funny things happen. Seton Hall needs some confidence. They they need to find a way to beat Monmouth. And maybe, maybe if they can beat Missouri, which is a tall task, then maybe things can start turning around. You're just looking for a moment, a spark, something. It's got to start with the coach. He's got to motivate these players and find the right buttons. And then it goes to the leaders, Kaderi and Dre and Dawes. It's affecting his defense. 
I've said this before. Sit Dawes, let him come off the bench. It's either him or a day Wusu because neither one of those players is giving Seton Hall anything on the offensive or defensive end. Start Isaiah Coleman, put Malachi Brown in there. It's start. It's time to start playing the freshmen. If you don't start playing them, you risk losing them. Get them out there. Put Coleman in the starting lineup. Let Adewusu come off the bench. Maybe he'll provide a spark that way. Change things up. It worked for Rutgers. Maybe it'll work for Seton Hall. But you don't know if you don't try it. All right. As we go around the tri-state, let's talk about St. John's as well because that is just a bad loss against Boston College. A team that was predicted 12th in the ACC. You have them in New York City. You're up 10 in the second half. Everything's going your way. And then St. John's reared its ugly head. You're getting a double-double from Joel Soriano. You're getting a double-double from Chris Ledlam. You're up 10. Basically in your own building at the Barclays. And you let Boston College just absolutely run you out of your own building. And it starts on the defensive end. We'll get to Patino's comments in a little bit, but I mean, this team, it, it, it's almost like we're talking about Seton all here shooting four for 19 from three. And when you're not hitting shots, they're not playing defense. Jordan Dingle, my goodness, three for 15. Blah. Yuck. I get it. Scorers have that scorer mentality, but you know what? Get others involved. All right. This team is still not gelling. There's no chemistry there. And this is what happens, right? You overall the roster, you bring in 11 new faces. You only have one returning player. We're seeing the same thing with Iona. How long is it going to take this team to gel? It's getting late early around here, as, as Yogi would once say. It didn't hurt. It didn't help that Dennis Jenkins fouled out with 211 to play. But look, this team scored 80 points. When you score 80 points, you have to win. There was zero defense. Zero. BC shot 56% for the game, 62% in the second half. Quinton Post. Have you ever heard of Quentin Post? Well, you have now. He's the seven-footer from BC who, who nearly had a triple-double. 14 points, 11 rebounds, nine assists. Wait, there goes another wide-open Boston College player open for a layup, and Quentin Post hitting him with a beautiful bounce pass. I mean, he was, he was playing out there like Luka Doncic. Quentin Post was. And Joel Soriano's a, a darn good player, but you got to play defense, guys. MIA. And and Patino said it all after his post-game press conference. Just I'm sure you read the quotes, but here's some of them. Here's just a few of them. Quote, we aren't going to win until we are committed to defense. We recruited offensive players and trying to teach 23-year-old kids about defense. I think we have people who have not guarded in their life. 
I love that one. I think we have people who have not guarded in their life and they're being expected to defend rather than just score. It's very difficult on them, said Patino. And then he dropped the hammer because he was so tired of answering the questions at the end. He goes, well, we're stuck with what we have. What? You built the roster. You went out and got as many three-point shooters as you could possibly find. And it's working. Okay? But Patino knows you have to defend the three as well as you make the three. And if this team doesn't learn how to defend, it's it. they're not going to make the tournament. They're just not. The best teams in the Big East, look at the stats. It's UConn. They're a great scoring team. They're a great defensive team. They're at the top in offense and defense. Creighton, at the top in offense and defense. You have to have both. And, and St. John's couldn't be further. Their metrics could not be further apart on offense and defense. And that starts with the head coach. We're stuck with the players we have. Yep, you're stuck with them. So go figure it out. And if they don't play defense, find someone who can. Because guess what? You can't keep playing Joel Soriano 35 minutes. Chris Ledlam 37 minutes. They're going to wear out. RJ Luis isn't coming back until January. He's arguably, he is your second best player. Where's Edgefor? Five minutes. Where's Wiltshire? A top 30 player. The number one player in New Jersey. Six minutes against Boston College. A week ago, Rick Pitino was saying, I trust Simeon Wiltshire. I'll put him out there at any point in the game. Six minutes. And the only reason why he was in the game late was because Dennis Jenkins fouled out. We need to see more edge of four. We need to see more Wiltshire. These are top 50 players. They have talent. Trust them. You're going to need them. And if you don't use them, you're in danger of losing them. You're a Hall of Fame coach. You need them. St. John's plays Fordham Saturday at MSG. Must win. Get that win before they open Big East play against Xavier. All right. It's going to be an interesting week. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks as we gear up for Big East play and as things start to get interesting toward the end of 2023. That'll do it for this episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Our thanks to our sponsor, NorthJerseyVipers.com. If you or your daughter or someone you know is looking to play high-level softball, go to NorthJerseyVipers.com. My name is Brian DeNovellis. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the games, everyone. So long.